This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. If you'd like to support Hiking Through Life, you can go to hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. We have t-shirts, water bottles, and we recently added stickers to the shop. Use the code podcast at checkout and receive 10% off your first order. There are other ways you can support this podcast as well. You can check those out at hikingthroughlife.net slash support. Also, be sure to sign up for our email list. You can do that by heading over to hikingthroughlife.net. Enter your email address and click subscribe. There's no commitment. You can unsubscribe at any time. As part of our email list, you'll receive our monthly newsletter. We'll also be sending out any promotional codes for Hiking Through Life gear. It's an excellent way to follow Hiking Through Life's journey. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we are joined by Bruce McGlenn. Bruce has 35 years of hunting experience in the Pacific Northwest. Hunting has been a way of life for him since the beginning and is a family tradition passed down from his father. He is the founder of Human Nature Hunting, a retreat experience that connects humans and natures and the hunting experience. We're really excited to have him here today, and maybe it will shine a new perspective on hunting for some people. Welcome to the podcast, Bruce. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be here. Yeah. So tell us, like, how did all of this get started? I mean, it's you grew up hunting with your father. Did he kind of start that right, right in your childhood? Yeah, it was, I mean, I was born into hunting, more or less. Um, and I really appreciate that and the, the effort my folks went to <clears throat> when we were young. I've got an older brother and sister. And, uh, you know, they, they just, they made it effort. They took the time to get us out on the backpacking trail and out salmon fishing and hunting in the fall. And I mean, one of my first, my very first memories that I can somewhat recall and I can recall it because we made a a tape we had a little tape deck when we were kids and we'd interview each other and they interviewed me when I was three years old and I told them the story about being on my dad's shoulders when he was out hunting pheasants and uh one a rooster flushed at his feet and you're walking through the cattails and he turned and took a shot and I was holding on to his head and his hair watching all this unfold below me and I don't know if he got it or not but it was pretty exciting and that's just how I was brought into it. And we, our family wasn't a fanatic hunting family. You know, we grew up bird hunting mostly and then started getting into big game hunting 
now when I was a early teenager and it just became more and more evident over time that hunting at least you know the way we practiced it was such a unique way to connect to the land and our food and the ecosystem and feel like I was being a part of it. You know, I was being a participant in the process rather than an observer, which I often felt more of when I was out, you know, backpacking or hiking, which I love to do and I still do it. It's just that element of the hunt taps into something different and it's, it's hard to explain, but I think it's in all of us, you know, kind of a, a primal sense and a primal wisdom to want to be a part of the bigger picture. And I think, I think hunting can be that, um, you know, bridge to that reality. Yeah. And I, I'm just so fascinated by this hunting thing too. Cause like hunting something that I haven't given like a whole lot of thought to not a whole lot of, I've never hunted. Um, and I, we, I had another person on the podcast not long ago who is also a hunter and a backpacker. So it's just like kind of been opening up my eyes to this whole different perspective that like when you're out backpack, like there's one thing to backpacking, but then like there's a whole other aspect like this backpack hunting idea. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you were just out in, was it Montana you said? Yep. Yeah, we were just in Montana for... uh... I was, in, I was out there most of November and I was hunting deer and and then we got geared up for our uh, annual backcountry trip where we go in for a couple of weeks and we'll pack our gear either on foot in a backpack or sled it in if there's snow and a big toboggan and luckily there was enough snow to do that this year uh, because we we pack in a wall tent and a titanium stove fairly lightweight but not that light and uh it goes all our gear and food for 10 to 14 days and clothing and hunting gear and so it takes a couple of trips to get in there and then it takes some time to get set up you know we will go in about four miles and we're up at about eight thousand feet and that just it gets us away from the roads and the trailheads and it allows us to have a, a really nice base camp to hunt from and so we can get up in the morning and head out in the dark and kind of be in the zone where we want to hunt which is really nice but it's it's a lot of work but it's something I look forward to every year and the other part of it is that when I get back from these trips I feel the best I feel all year without a doubt I mean part of it is just being out there exercising all day Um, but it's also just being tuned in to the environment and being out there with an awareness you know and sneaking around and and smelling things and touching things and feeling things and listening and looking and really waking up the senses and tuning in, which is critical to be a successful hunter. Yeah. And you said like, you love being out there moving and like exercising all day. And maybe this is a misconception that I have about hunting, but like, I kind of more so picture people staying stagnant in one spot a lot of the time that's a good question and it's a good point i think it varies um, around the country uh, and around the world it depends on what kind of land you have access to 
And I think, you know, East Coast and the Midwest probably has a higher percentage of blind hunting and, and sitting and waiting like you're you're thinking of. And but in the Northwest, we're lucky that we have a lot of public land and a lot of national forest land that's all open to hunting. And so we hiked into a drainage basin that was, I don't know, 30, 40 square miles. You know, it was, it was all open. I mean, and that was just a small part of it. Um, but that was the area we were hunting and there were only a handful of other people coming in and out and walking through occasionally. And so you can walk, you know, 10, 12 miles a day easily just poking around and tracking animals and looking in new areas and, and, um, and hunting. But that is, like I said, dependent on place. Um, and I do prefer to be able to move around more so than just sit and wait. Yeah, for sure. Cause like I picture, you know, like someone up in like their deer stand here in Minnesota, for example, like deer hunting is really big in Minnesota. That's kind of what I imagine, but yeah, that's really a good perspective to get on it. And I'm super excited to hear all about the human nature hunting, the concept of it and how you got into it. But first I kind of want to hear like, what were you doing before you started human nature hunting? I think I listened to another podcast where you were in New Zealand at one point. I, I was um, just, well, I was, I, I was and still am a licensed civil engineer doing mostly doing structural design work, though I haven't been practicing lately. Um, that was my pr- previous professional life, though by far my longest practice has been hunting, you know, goes way back. And I, I mean, engineering is great work and it, I was, I enjoyed the folks I worked with and what I was doing. And, but I kept, I was sitting in the desk and working at a computer a lot of the time. And I kept thinking about what I really wanted to be doing with my time and my energy and my body. And, you know, it kept coming back to this idea of, of how we are connected to nature. And you know, it was, I was starting to form this idea primarily out on these two-week hunts in Montana where I just felt different than I did the rest of the year. You know, like I mentioned earlier, just really tuning in, grounding, waking up, waking, awakening my senses, um, feeling like I was part of something bigger. And, you know, my intuition would get stronger and louder and my would follow my gut feelings and instincts and I just I started feeling more wild and alive and and this all kind of started combining with the fact that you know it we're becoming more and more aware of how uh critical it is to pay attention to our the effects we're having on the ecosystem and the planet you know and, and the health of the habitat and so in putting these pieces together I thought, I thought well you know it is important to design safe high rises, but, but I, I think it maybe is more important, at least for me to help people you know, reconnect to nature on a fundamental level where it just becomes second nature to want to be good stewards of the land and the resource and to take care of our home and our planet. So I think in the long run, that's really what we need 
maybe more than anything. I mean, if we have if we have the best technologies, but we lose the connection to the earth and nature, I think it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you keep talking about like, just like the connections to our land and our ecosystem and everything. And like, so many people, you know, like go to the store and grab their meat, and we're not necessarily thinking about where that came from. So how how would you describe hunting as helping our ecosystem? Like, what are some of the most important ways that the way that you hunt and get so connected to the land is helping our ecosystem? I think the the most important and the most fundamental way is just through a feeling of connection, a connection to the earth and the land and the and the ecosystem. And for me, once I I felt and I, I felt that connection a long time and it just, I can't help but feel like it's all one and the same. And so if I'm gonna pollute the environment, I'm polluting myself. And it's, it's really just a, a frame of mind, I think, a perspective um, on how, how we are or are not a part of nature. Now, there are other arguments people can make like, well, hunting can help regulate populations, uh, you know, if there are too many uh, deer or elk in an area. Um, you know, hunting brings in a lot of funding for wildlife and habitat management. You know, a lot of the, I mean, all of the wildlife management funding comes from hunting and hunting related activities, you know, versus there's very little or no income generated from say like backpacking or bird watching other than maybe some binoculars that are purchased for bird watching or something like that. Uh, you know, there's a tax on outdoor gear that goes to help um, funding wildlife management of firearms and ammo and binoculars are probably part of that. But I think by far the in my opinion, the most critical component is just feeling like we are a part of the system rather than uh, disconnected from it. And so I you know a lot of times I say, really the goal here is to help heal the connection between humans and nature, kind of get back to the where we were uh, or, or get past, get through this area, this time where we're getting, you know, there's a lot of confusion and fast paced life and change uh, but hopefully we can get through it and still maintain that awareness and connection to the ecosystem and the land where we came from and you know that we're a part of absolutely just like thinking about where how humans were living many many years ago and then like you go back to like how you were like making designs for high rises and stuff I mean that's just so polar opposite it's pretty wild to think that um that's kind of our society now this fast-paced world and when we're so disconnected from the land and the nature and the earth that we miss the meaning of everything yeah and that's one thing that I love so much about hiking and just like getting out on a small hiking trail every single day in my neighborhood is just like this pure reminder that you can just be so grounded when you're out on a trail. Yes. Yeah. And there are some great, I mean, a lot of great activities to get out and 
experience and enjoy nature and and you know like i said it's there is something unique about hunting i this trip we were just on i ended up connecting with an elk fairly early in the trip after that i spent three days hauling meat out of the mountains and getting it back to the trailhead and in the truck uh, but then i i got back out uh you know and just started kind of hunting knowing that i couldn't shoot anything i it was exploring and scouting and tracking and looking for animals and sign and and not being able to shoot anything did do you mean it's because you already got your one elk for that trip right okay. right right so i mean just a little background with big game hunting you typically get one deer tag and one elk tag per state and once you fill those you're done for the year you can only shoot one animal so i shot mine and and uh and then when i was out on the trail again and that I mean, not really on the trail, but just walking. There are no trails out there. You're just walking through the woods and over the windfalls and through creeks and dead pine forests and thick fir stands and rocky outcroppings and just wherever your nose takes you. Uh, I really enjoyed being out there and I, I saw a few more elk that I probably could have shot, you know, had I been hunting. I saw another big bull and I it slipped into the timber and I spent half a day just tracking it through the woods. And there was something missing um, because I was not fully engaged in the hunt. You know, I knew I was just still an observer. Even when I go out and I don't shoot something, but I'm hunting, that's, that's, there's a little magic there that really forces me to tune in and really focus on what's going on around me. And, uh, you know, connect to the land. And that that's kind of the magic, the little special nugget, I think, that's unique with hunting, which is really hard to explain if you've never experienced it. Maybe people have kind of had brushes with it, like out hiking and and bumping an animal and then feeling a little bit of a rush. And, you know, and it's just taking that a few steps further to saying, I'm out here to try to put food on my table. And that, that maybe it taps into more of a primal survival instinct from way back when we were actually surviving from hunting and gathering. Yeah. And I mean, you're saying like you felt like you really connected with this elk that you later on did shoot for for the meat. So can you like explain those kind of connections that you feel and like how how does it feel once that elk is shot? Is that hard to do i mean you you're you you were raised on this so i'm sure you're so used to it by now but is that like an emotional challenge to kill something that you've been following for so long it's yes all of the above and it's i don't think i'll ever get used to it um it's it's very powerful and emotional and exciting and you know can be scary at times. I mean, you get way out there and it gets dark and you're a long ways from home and it just, you know, it tests your limits a little bit. Uh, but it, yes, it's, it's always emotional. And, you know, when I, when I'm fortunate enough to, to shoot an animal, I, and, and get up to it, you know, and, and uh, I usually put a hand on it and take a few moments to just take in what had just happened and and when I touch the animal, I often feel this kind of wave of 
goosebumps for one thing, but just this feel of all of a sudden I'm, I'm like connecting in to the animal and the, and the land around me in a way that I wasn't previously connected. You know, I was sort of a, a little bit more of an observer earlier on and, and hunting towards something, but now I'm, I've hunted something and I've made a kill and that meat is going to feed me. You know, I'm going to become part of what just happened. I'm going to, and I'm going to ingest that food and energy. And, and so it's, it's a really amazing and, and emotional process. I mean, a lot of people will cry uh, when they shoot their first animal or several animals, and it's not uncommon. Um, just I typically feel just a, just a deep, deep sense of gratitude and connection and awe and appreciation. It's unlike any other feeling I get when I'm out in the out in the trail. Yeah. And I just think that's such an eye-opening and beautiful way to look at it because so many of us are eating meat, yet so many people kind of look at hunters as as these killers, but we're we're eating meat anyway. And I mean, I suppose lots of like vegetarians and super anti-hunters out there would still have an argument against what you guys are doing, but I find it to be like a really genuine way to be respectful of the animal and it's kind of just going back to that the circle of life really i think so too and i and i don't argue against vegetarians or vegans at all i i appreciate you know what they stand for which is generally uh, minimizing suffering of animal and the exploit exploitation of wildlife and i i follow the same principles as a hunter uh, first of all, it's illegal to exploit wildlife because you cannot sell wild game meat. Uh, thankfully, I mean, the hunters made that rule, I don't know, 100 years ago or more, maybe not that long. And uh, and yeah, minimizing suffering. I mean, we are omnivorous and a lot of us eat meat. And the alternative to this is that you pay somebody to do the dirty work and it's all behind closed doors. And these animals are probably not having a very good life and they probably have some suffering you know, during life and at the end of life. And at least when I'm out hunting in the wild, an animal usually has way more opportunities to get away than I have of catching it. I mean, things happen so fast out there and these animals are so agile and strong. I mean, an elk can run up and over a mountain faster than you can catch your breath. It's an interesting, situation we find ourselves in because we have made it easier on ourselves as a society at the expense of farmed animals uh, and that like I said there's these mass-produced factory farmed meats and no one's really thinking about it because the meat industry has done a good job of keeping it you know quiet and probably people don't want to know the truth because it's hard work this animal I shot at the end of the day, luckily my other two hunting partners found me after dark and we worked on this thing for a couple hours um, and it gets dark, you know, 5.30 up there. And, and I think we finally got the meat sledded back to camp by about midnight and it was 
two degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Oh, burr. And dark. <laughs> and we were exhausted. And that's just the beginning. You know, then, like I said, I spent two days studying that meat out four miles out to the truck. It took two days to go four miles with the meat? No, no. I took half of it one day. And okay. It was, you know, it took most of the day just because it was so slow going. It was such a heavy load. You know, yeah. Over 200 pounds of meat and bone in one sled each trip. And uh, and now, actually, right now, I'm, I'm processing the meat. I'm taking a break from pulling the, the pieces of meat out of the game bags that we brought back and trimming it and cleaning it up and and uh, cutting out the choice steaks and roasts and then all the small stuff will run through the grinder uh, and then wrap it all up in small packages and freeze it and we'll have over 200 pounds of pure meat probably off this one elk yeah and like that'll last you for so so long versus restocking at a grocery store so often but all the work that goes into that is just yeah it should be a lot easier just to go down to the local grocery and <laughs> buy a pound of meat for 250 or whatever it is which is crazy but we are what we eat and if you want to eat that stuff you got to consider what it is you know the factory farm stuff and if you want to if you want to eat wild meat um you know Thankfully, that opportunity still exists, but it, it takes some work because we've gotten out of the habit of hunting and gathering for our subsistence. And it's a little bit of a dying art. Absolutely. And I mean, I think a lot of people are still in, like, I'm a gardener a little bit, and I find that growing my own vegetables is so much more satisfying to eat those versus something that I got at the store. Cause I like know that I took care of that and grew it and gave it the nourishment it needed to grow in order for me to harvest it. So I can imagine that hunting is kind of a similar mindset in feeling that way. Right. Exactly. I think it's a good analogy and uh, it actually reminds me of a story of a guy on the East coast wrote a book called the mindful carnivore Tovar Sorelli. And we've chatted a few times and he, he started out as he grew up fishing and then went to college and became a vegetarian. And after college was trying to grow his own food with his to be wife. And they realized quickly how hard it was to grow enough food to sustain yourself because not only were there small pests that wanted to eat it, there were bigger pests that were coming in and eating their food, you know, squirrels and woodchucks and whatever were over there. Oh yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> they tried to fence it and these things were still getting in. And then he realized that or he bought his organic produce down the road at this farm that they were having to kill. They were shooting deer to keep the deer out of the produce so that they weren't losing their produce. And so he, he started realizing that it's really very difficult, if at all even possible, to be alive on this planet without causing some sort of death or displacement of other life, even if you're a vegetarian. And so he took it upon himself to take up hunting, you know, so that he could take responsibility for those lives that he was taking in order to sustain his own um, you know, caloric needs. And he's, he's a hunter to this day. Wow. That's like a really, yeah, deep way to think about it too. Because yeah, here it's like the deer, the rabbits, whatever it is getting into the garden. And 
yeah, it just goes back to that life cycle and all the work that needs to be done. Yeah, there's there's a, a wide spectrum of of people and beliefs and their ways of going about this, and so I you know I don't mean to generalize, um, and I do think that we do we need to be aware of where our food is coming from and how it's getting to our table if we're trying to take action in the right direction and i mean there's a lot of plant matter is grown in a way that is destructive to natural habitats and wildlife and that's that's easy to dismiss if if we're not they're doing it and watching it um but it's it's something we have to keep in mind yeah back to this this elk did you um did all of the parts of it did you keep all of those parts or are there any parts that you guys don't take out with you well we first you gut it you know you get the elk or ruminants and they've got a big bag of grass that they're you know their gut digestion system is working on breaking down and all the rest of their digestive system and lungs and whatnot um, so we will gut that and set that aside but we pull out the liver and the kidneys and the heart primarily for organ meat um, and then as far as the carcass we strip as much meat off of it as possible and here again, as you'll see different situations. I mean, some people will just, they'll be lazy and they'll take the four legs and the back straps and call it good. But um, to me, that's a little bit of an easy come, easy go mentality and it. And we've got to be careful with that. So I, I do everything I can to, you know, honor the situation and take every ounce of meat I can. I mean, I cut all the flank off and the, the, I cut the meat out between each rib and all the neck meat and the, the tenderloins inside and there's some, some small set of tenderloins further up uh, in the rib cage area and so by the time we're done all you see is a skeleton you know the backbone and the ribs and the pelvis completely void of, of most meat there's a few specks on there and that gets picked off pretty quickly by the scavengers yeah well yeah and just like hearing like the liver and the kidneys and the heart i mean those are things that people can't necessarily go down to the grocery store and pick up on your everyday grocery no. list. I mean, these are these are things that take so much time and so much work to get and it's there's it there's such an art to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, thankfully we only have to do this uh, you know, once or twice a year. And hunting season is pretty short in reality. It's in Washington here. It's um, the general rifle season for elk is about a week long, and you know, it's for deer maybe a couple of weeks, and it's a little bit longer for archery. And but that's another maybe misconception some people have is that people are out hunting year round and it's easy to get something, but it's it's not. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of preparation. And figuring out where to go and when to go and how to do it and then you've got a pretty short window to get out there and make it happen uh and so i i focus you know my energy on that during this season and then when it's done it's done and i spend the rest of the time 
saving as much life as possible by taking spiders outside and doing what I can to not just kill life for no reason. Oh yeah. I love that hearing that you take the spiders outside too. I, I'm all about that as well. I, I like to teach kids that as well. I, (laughs) I am a preschool teacher and like, whenever we see one, I like kind of encourage them not to kill it. It's, it's, you know, it's a life. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So tell us about the human nature hunting concept and like how it works. I know there's like six people also that are part of the process. There's yoga, there's a chef. How does, what can people expect when they come there? Well, primarily, I mean, we're doing these four day intensives and courses and, uh, they're designed to, to help people get into hunting, whether it's they want to gear up and hunt in the fall season or whether they just want to learn about the culture of hunting and see if it's something that resonates with them. And some levels, what we're doing is as close as you can get to hunting without actually hunting. We're running these courses in the off season. Uh, so we're not actually hunting and I'm not a guide and not, or an outfitter. I don't want to be that. I think that's, there's some great services out here, but I, uh, you know, for me, I felt the magic was being out there by myself and figuring this out myself without following along behind someone else or taking direction because then you're really forced to tune in. And so the, the goal of the program is to give people the skills and knowledge and, and experience to, to get out there and, and the confidence to get out there and start hunting on their own. And it's a process. I mean, you're not going to be an expert after a four-day intensive, and you're not going to be an expert after four years, likely. But it's you got to start somewhere. And there are often pretty big hurdles to getting into hunting that you know, they're just not teaching at the local community colleges anymore. And uh, even if you have friends that hunt, sometimes it's hard to learn from them because... I mean, it's a funny culture. They, in some respects, hunters don't want to see other hunters getting into it because they feel like there's more pressure for a limited resource. But on the other hand, if hunters continue to dwindle like what's been happening, we're going to lose our funding for wildlife. We're going to lose the interest to keep wildlife vibrant. And we could just, it could just spiral into a bad situation where, you know, we're just, we have less wildlife and less natural habitat. So yeah, the course, what you would expect um, is that we cover everything from the planning and the prep, what kind of gear you need, understanding the seasons and the regulations and looking at maps and figuring out where to go and when to go and what kind of resources are available to research that stuff. Um, We get into shooting rifles and bows, cover archery and rifle hunting. Some people have never shot. Some people have their own rifle they bring. We start out with 22s and BB guns, just getting working with the basics and work up to high power rifles, hunting rifles. So you have some people that have never shot and some that have have a handful of experience with with shooting? Yep, yep. And same with archery. We'll do a lot of archery shooting. And a big piece of it is the working on an animal and... We use uh, farm-raised lambs, typically from a, a local farm, 
where they'll dispatch it locally on their farm where hopefully it's you know somewhat comfortable and bring it right over and drop it in the woods and I'll run a blood trail out to it and uh and then we track it like we had just shot an animal and we find it and we get to work on it just like we would in the in a hunting situation and we gut it and skin it and then let it cool for the night and then the next morning we you go to work butchering it, breaking it down completely with a knife. You have to let it cool for the night? I had no idea. Oh, you don't have to, but it, it makes it easier on, especially on uh, farm-raised animals. They're a little fattier and can be a little greasier if they're, until they cool down. Oh, okay. But in the, in the field, we don't have that luxury of waiting. So we just break it down and get it uh, you know, either hung up in a tree or hauled back to camp as soon as possible. So yeah, the, the field dressing, the skinning, the butchering is a big part of it. You know, a lot of people say, well, if I get an animal on the ground, then what do I do with it? Because it's, it's a pretty big project. So you get your hands in all of these processes. And the gutting part is probably the biggest, one of the bigger hurdles for folks. And there's, and there's like an anatomy lesson and understanding all the different muscles and groups and cuts of meat and, uh, and the organs and we will eat a lot of that stuff during the course uh, so the people that you know, are there and they they work on this animal and they get the opportunity to actually eat it and it's prepared well with a professional chef well yeah like just learning how to prepare all of those meats is a whole like that's got to be a whole day in itself too <laughs> right yeah yeah and uh and then we start putting these pieces together. I mean, we just do some exercise in the woods to build awareness and go over orienteering and using a map and compass and tracking and looking for sign and sneaking around and stalking, moving quietly and what to look for and how to move. Uh, and then we start doing some simulated hunts where we'll, we hike through the woods, you know, and looking for things. And I've got targets set up where people can actually take shots at targets in the field and shooting in field conditions is much different than shooting at a shooting range off of a bench. And so you get, get practice and kind of simulating what it might be like to be out on a hunt. But it's not actually, cause like you said, you're not a guide. So do you ever actually call it a hunt when you're out with these, with the people? Well, no, we're not. We're just shooting at targets. So nobody ever has actually um, hunted like an elk or anything during your courses? Not during the courses because the seasons aren't running then. Uh, you know, they're, they're pretty short in the fall. Um, but what we've been doing every year is having uh, alumni hunts, you know, group hunts with alums who are really interested in taking it to the next level and want a little bit of a stepping stone. And so we'll help put together a hunt, you know, do some scouting and set up base camp and then people are invited to come in with their own gear and set up with us and hunt with us. Uh, but I'm not out there guiding them necessarily. Yeah. I think that you, another podcast, you said you view yourself as a healer when you're working with the people. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I mentioned, trying to heal the connection between humans and nature, which I, I think is really the key here for me anyway. And I think there's some great examples to be had or some experiences to be had from guided hunts and outfitters and they work hard to you know, do the back end work and set up situations um, and they can be great learning experiences. 
Uh, it's just that sometimes it's the guides that are doing the hunting and the clients are there basically to pull the trigger. And if that's what you need, you know, in your progression of learning, so be it. Uh, but I think we also need to be aware that not to get into that kind of a pattern where someone else is doing the hunting for us. We're just there to be part of one little step and then someone else kind of takes care of the meat and does all this stuff. And it's, it's just, it's such a small, small, I mean, killing an animal is such a small part of the overall process. Uh, and it's really the hunt and engaging in the hunt and trying to figure it out where I think the, the, uh, like I said, the magic happens. Well, right. And like you said, like so many, like the, if it's, if you have a guide out there doing it, he's the one doing it for the people. The people are just there to like, kind of see it happen. And it's similar to like going out on a hike too. I mean, a lot of people do the guided hikes and whatnot, which is good. Cause a lot of people like need a guide cause they have no idea what they're doing necessarily. And some people definitely want that, but like you're saying, some people want more and to gain that, like people learn by doing. Right. Yeah. So some teaching you know, and instructing and teaching, trying to give people enough skills and confidence to get out and get over those hurdles and start hunting. And that's, that's kind of the gist of the, you know, the program and the, the four day intensive. So are they all four days? Is that typically how it goes yeah pretty much the i mean the hunts can be longer when we do a hunt in the fall but um we've found that the and we've been actually talking about ideas of doing longer more involved more drawn out courses at people's requests but we just figured we'd we started with this because it was an easy model for people to with busy schedules to um you know, just take a couple of days off a Thursday through Sunday and, and really pack in the information. You know, it's kind of a crash course and a, like I said, a, an intensive, and it requires a continue continuation of the learning, you know, and the doing. We might get into longer, more, more drawn out courses in the future, yeah, so stay tuned on that. And when people take this course, do they come and camp on the property or what does that look like? Yeah, we've typically they'll camp. We've got a fenced in garden area and then we've got a you know, bunch of wooded area down by a creek and so they can pick their their spot. We've got a, a few little you know, cabin upgrade options for folks that fly in and don't want to haul a tent and gear so to make it easy on them okay and would you say that like do you get a whole wide range of types of people coming I mean are some people people who have never done camping before but want to hunt I mean what does that look like normally yeah exactly a totally wide range I mean some people never shot never camped never done any of this some people have done it all a little bit or or parts here and there and they're from all over the country and different walks of life you know the tech industry or blue collar industry or whatever and uh it's it's actually pretty fun to bring together 
such a diverse group. We keep the group small, just to six participants. And, uh, and it's, it's really fun to watch the camaraderie form so quickly around all this. I mean, when you're, you know, the first day we get into working on the animal and when you're working with a group of folks breaking down an animal and getting your hands bloody, uh, I mean, it's easy to find some common ground pretty quickly. Well, yeah, it's a very intimate experience. <laughs> yeah, the, the sense of community that forms is, is also important. And we try to keep that going and alive with our alumni network. Uh, but even, even if it doesn't continue, we try to foster that as much as possible in those four days, just to feel that sense of camaraderie and what I think we used to feel a lot of when we were you know, living in smaller communities and, and the hunting gathering tribes and you know, you'd go out and people were working together and shoulder to shoulder and, and you kind of had a common goal for survival. So, I mean, obviously it's, we're not out there on the brink of survival, but uh, it's, it's nice to tap into some of that, some of those feelings and, and uh, experiences. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, it's building that community and just getting people back to that, the, the whole, like you said, working together and working together towards this common goal. That's not, not an easy thing to come about. Right. And you said this is out in Kettle Falls, Washington? Yes, it's uh, northeast Washington, and it's in the actually in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So we've got some elevation and contours, and uh, we've we've had folks flying from eastern Canada and the east coast, the U.S., and even one guy and his son from Argentina. A lot of folks drive over from Seattle and Portland or fly up from California. Uh, it's pretty easy to fly into the local airport and hop up on a shuttle. And how long have you been running it for? When did this open? This, uh, I've done, done it for five years now, I think. Okay. Back to your one of your original questions, how did this all come about? And it was, it was kind of something that it just, it was this, a seed early on. And that was just, it was slowly growing, you know, under the duff and, and then it would, it was getting a little bit more light, you know, as I was thinking about things and thinking about my professional life and the city and what the meaning of life was all about and what it meant to be a human being. And, and, uh, and so, I mean, on some sense, it, it came to a point where it's like, okay, this is now is a time to give this a shot if we're going to do it. And that was five years ago. And, but there was a lot of, of history there building up to it well yeah i mean you had 35 years of history <laughs> growing up doing right. this <laughs> right so like i said it's my longest probably my by far my longest practice of anything in life has been hunting yeah yeah it's just kind of a part of who you are it seems yeah and it, it even looks like your your dad is that your dad who's on the team or part of the staff or whatever here on your website yeah, yep. Yeah, uh, I mean, this year was a little crazy, as you can imagine, and so he kept a pretty low profile. But he he tries to be involved with most of the courses and is there to tell stories and represent the multi generational 
component of of hunting and you know, we're getting some alums now that are asking me they're having their they're growing their families and they're they want to talk to us about how to get young kids involved in, in hunting and how to you know how to introduce them in good ways and sure because do you think that's one of the biggest barriers just not being raised in a hunting family i think so i think so I, it's less and less common you know and well i've also just to back up a second my mom you know 20 some years ago founded a program called washington outdoor women and similar to the similar to becoming an outdoor women program that some states have and i helped i've been helping with that teaching the big game hunting course which is a you know three or four hour course you know a half day session in these long weekend workshops and was that even before you formed human nature hunting yeah so i was really just scratching the surface but it was and it's mostly women teaching women it's just my dad and i have been helping my mom for obvious reasons and so it was interesting to listen to these women's stories about why they were interested in hunting and a lot of them actually grew up in hunting families but they were never invited to go hunting it was a guy's thing and here years later they they still had a, an interest and a curiosity and and you know their their parents had passed away and there was there was nobody left to to teach them or ask questions and and so i mean that's that's one component the other is just not having anybody for a generation or two in your family that hunted you know we're just growing out of it as a society in a sense particularly in the urban areas but then people for some reason or for whatever reason they get a curiosity and they want to start learning more about it and that's i i hear that all the time of, from people who are applying and interested in joining one of the courses that they they just don't have anybody to ask you know one in the family hunts now maybe there was a long lost uncle that hunted but he or aunt she passed away and uh there's just nobody that can they, they can turn to and um you know there are youtube videos and tv shows out there which for better or for worse that shine some light on all of this but i i think it's really a hands-on i mean we're offering and providing a hands-on experiential learning opportunity which i think is pretty important and maybe pretty critical to learning this stuff versus just reading about it or or looking at videos and that's not to say that that's it's impossible to do that i mean if you have the time and the energy and the drive then uh, certainly you can probably read up on some of the basics and just get out there and and start fumbling around and that's that'll work yeah some people learn that way just by kind of teaching themselves but yeah i think the majority of people you know do like a hands-on experience from from someone who is well seasoned in that area yeah and hopefully you know by going through this program this course it saves them you know maybe even some years of fumbling around and not knowing what they're doing or or at least gives them that baseline to get out and get hit the ground running yeah so i mean with your with your alumni have you like had lots of those types of success stories i suppose where they're they come and take one of your courses and now they're kind of a hunter like that's like their their thing now yeah it's fun to get 
messages from folks. You know, they, they're, uh, they're coming in more and more here over the years of people send me their stories of their first successful hunt or, or any hunt and they are getting their kids out for their first hunt or you know, the first deer they got with a bow. And yeah, it's fun to see the, see the progress and the, the excitement and the, the continuation of, of this information and way of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you're really just like you said, like you just want to give people that, that experience and knowledge and let them go at it. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. I and mean, that's, that's, I guess earlier, I think where the magic is and getting out there and engaging on your own and not needing me or somebody else to walk you through it and hold your hand. I mean, there's, you need some of that in the beginning just to get over a few of these barriers, but then that's, that's where the opportunity lies is to really engage and connect and feel like we have the skills and the ability, you know, and the confidence to strike out into the wild and into the unknown and find our way and navigate and, and carry the tools and the knowledge that such that we can deal with an animal if we get one. And, uh, and then all the, the joy and satisfaction that comes from that process and, and being a part of hunting your own food and sharing it with your loved ones and friends and, and kind of going through that experience all over again every time you eat. I mean, every time I eat a package of meat, I pull out of the freezer and eat it and share it with other folks. I kind of reminisce about the experience and it brings me back to that, those experiences of those cold nights and the long days and the, and the, the feelings I had out there of being alive. It's just not something I get from food that I buy at the grocery store. Right. I mean, I love how you explain that. It's like bringing out a photograph or like a souvenir from like a really memorable experience you had in your life and sharing that story with the people you're enjoying that meal with. Yeah. Yep. So in your opinion, do you prefer to go on like multiple day hunts or just day hunts I'm just like a one day hunt I mean a lot of people don't have the time to go on like a 12 day hunt but what do you prefer any opportunity you have I'd say take it um mentioned earlier a lot of my early hunting when I was I started hunting when I was nine and it was it was all bird hunting mostly ducks and pheasants and and um chucker and Hungarian partridge and quail and grouse and uh we just go for the day and it was a great experience a great adventure i I was young. I had my dad to go with. And I will say that, you know, as I got into big game hunting, the more I learned about it, the more I appreciated it, how complex it was and, and how more, much more engaging it was than, than bird hunting. And it seems like after two or three or four days out in the wild in the back country is often when there's a fairly noticeable shift of really feeling grounded and tuned in. And so if, if at all possible, I will try to schedule a week or more every fall to go hunt so that I have that time to just really sink my teeth into it and not have to go out and come back and go out and come back and kind of dip my toes into it and then come back and get in the car and drive somewhere and then get distracted by all the noise and the fast paced life. 
and then go through all these transitions, the longer trips are nice for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can totally like give your your whole self to it with without all these other distractions, like you're saying, all of that time. It's probably like similar to uh, hiking and backpacking. You know, if you have a day and you want to get out on the trail, go for it. And it's a great it's a great day to be out. Any any day you can be out on the trail. It's a great day. And when you have the time to plan a multi day backpacking trip, there's something special to that. After a couple of days of being out there, you start to feel a little different and a little more tuned in. And uh, there's something special about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, yeah, it's it feels refreshing no matter what type of timeline you have to go do something like that. But like you said, it's those multiple day trips that really stick to you and just, I know I'm so reset after after those types of trips. Yeah. And, and again, hunting, like I said, is happens over a fairly short window every year. And so we often start planning in the spring because if you want to hunt out of state, you've got to put in, you have to apply for an out of state license sometimes as early as March or April. Oh, so do people who come, people come in and do your course, do they, is it a requirement to get that license? No, 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 they don't. To do our course, you don't need a hunting license or any any licenses since we're not hunting. Oh, sure, yeah. I'm just saying for planning planning our hunt to say Montana this year, we it was a process that started almost a year ago, a year in advance. Oh, the point I was making was that scheduling a week or two week trip in October or November, and it really only happens once a year. It's not like the hunting season is happening year round and you're, you're uh, you know, trying to fit as much in as possible. So it's, it's a little easier, I guess. What I'm saying is that rather than spending six or eight weekends of hiking, you know, you could combine all that into one or two weeks of a, a hunting trip in the fall one time a year and uh, plan for it and make it happen. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, do you guys teach the um, backpacking skills, like any backcountry skills, just those basics that people might need to know for a long-term hunt? We do go over that. We talk about how to set up a base camp and some of the gear and equipment that we use, the options that are available. And that, I mean, alluding to your earlier question and the idea of adding some stuff, um, one of the thoughts is to add sort of a backcountry survival hunting base camp setup weekend, maybe even in the wintertime to uh, go over that in more detail. But, but we try to cover the basics in the four-day course to help people get it set up. And I would say a fairly good percentage of folks that sign up for the course have done some backpacking. So it, that helps. And another thing I tell folks is that if you are, if you're geared up, for backpacking, you probably have what you need to start hunting, at least in the beginning. You don't need a bunch of fancy camo, latest high-tech stuff to go hunting. A lot of stuff I use I is from back old backpacking years, and, and I use it interchangeably. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, all thinking about all my gear, like all I would need to go do is go get, I suppose, a rifle. <laughs> Yeah, a rifle or a bow. 
Yeah, I mean, there might be a few. A set of good set of binoculars is really key to the type of hunting we do, which might not be your typical piece of gear for backpacking. But yeah, and it it totally depends. I mean, this, the archery season occur early in September here anyway. Each state is a little different, but say in Washington, September most of September's archery season is still pretty warm and dry. Uh, and then there's a, a short muzzleloader season, which is the type of rifle where you dump the powder in and then ram a bullet down in and pull the hammer back and you get one shot. And then after that concludes, you have the modern rifle season and it's sort of progression of technology. And so once you get to the rifle season, the animals have been hunted for a while and they've been wide, smartened up a little bit and some of them have been shot. Um, and also depending on where and when is going to dictate what kind of gear you need. I mean, is it September, warmer September, dry conditions, or is it late October, November, snowy mountain winter conditions, where maybe you need a, a little bit more serious tent with a wood stove in it to, you know, dry stuff out and keep you warm at night. Um, so it can, it can get involved, you know, just depending on which, route you take and which direction you go right but that's also kind of part of the part of the fun of it have you ever done any winter camping uh we have tried a, a few times yeah it's I'm not crazy about it I mean we only have a three season tent if we had the big canvas tent where we could put the little stove in I'd be all for it but we don't have that equipment yet but it's definitely something that we we'd love to get into Cause yeah, with a three season ten, it was it wasn't fun. <laughs> Just wasn't fun. No, a great uh, in between option. They've started coming out with these lightweight teepee tents, and it's just the, you know, it's the the surround teepee surround material and a lightweight uh, silicone impregnated nylon, so it's waterproof. And you've got one center pole, a compression column in the middle and you stake it down around the perimeter there's no floor in it but you can carry a little tarp to put your personal gear on in your sleeping bag so there's no floor so you're still sleeping on well i guess if you bring a tarp then you have that to keep you covered from the snow yeah i mean just try to shovel or move the snow out of the way or if it hasn't been snowing then you got some dry ground to put it on it's almost easier that way because it's a bigger tent. You can walk in with your dirty boots, and not worry about it. And then you've got your clean space where you've got your gear and you're sleeping. And, and we've got a, a, what they call a 12 person teepee, which is now oh, it's probably at least a 20 foot diameter and you know, 10 or 12 feet high in the middle, I suppose. Um, and it's really probably big enough for, three or four hunters in their gear, but you can fit a lot of people in there and stand up in the middle. And, and it's got a little fold up titanium wood stove, a really small one, but it's, you know, size of a laptop when it folds up and the tent and the inner liners and the stove all together probably weigh about somewhere in the order of 10 to 15 pounds. That's not too bad. And this is a big tent. Yeah. You know, so you could split that weight over three or four people easily. And and having that wood stove is pretty key for cold weather camping and hunting and 
it allows you to to dry out your socks and boots and gear every night if you if they get wet from sweat or snow or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like for a hunt, it's like, like you said, you guys are out there like 12 days sometimes. So you kind of have to have that stuff to dry out your gear. I mean, we did like winter camping for one night and we could easily leave. We weren't hunting, but it's like, yeah, you really need that type of stuff if you're wanting to actually have a successful hunt. Yeah. And the other option is the, like the canvas wall tent, which have vertical sidewalls and a pitched roof and either need to build a frame up there or carry a really heavy frame, which isn't practical for the back country. So you end up building one out of dead standing poles. And that takes several hours. Uh, and the canvas can weigh, you know, 30 to 50 pounds easily. And I mean, a big, the bigger car camping tents are, can probably weigh closer to a hundred pounds to get a really big fancy one. So they're not designed for backpacking, obviously, but horse packing perhaps. <laughs> right, right. But uh, we, we still, we're still stubborn enough to pack one in. We, we pack in a 12 by 15 foot wall tent. Um, it's about, I think it's a little less than 40 pounds. And um, typically we're able to sled it in on the snow, which helps a lot. Yeah, and then add the weight of all the meat on your way out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good problem to have, but it's not—it's no small. It's, it's not a small issue. It, yeah, no, I understand. At the beginning, you said it took you like many hours to go four miles. Now I, I see why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very different than like a, a trail runner who's trying to get ultimate time. <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah and there are definitely times out there where we feel like oh my gosh what are we doing you know, this, is, <laughs> this is crazy or, uh it's just it's really hard work sometimes and but we always feel <laughs> great when we get home and look back at the experience and um what do they call that a type type two fun or class two fun where you're struggling a little bit at the moment, but you're looking back, it's a, it's a grand adventure and a really great experience and growth experience. Absolutely. I mean, I've had a handful of those backpacking and they, when you look back, they are just life lessons and just amazing moments to look back on. Yeah. But in the moment of those, it's, it's pretty, pretty challenging. So where can people learn more about human nature hunting or get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Well, we have a website, uh, humannaturehunting.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, if you search human nature hunting, um, I mean, the Instagram has got a lot of photos from the courses and some of the, the hunt we just went on. I'm trying to share some of that, what the experience is like out there. And uh, the website's got a lot of logistical information and describing what the courses are like and and uh, and the why behind it. Yeah, I just loved reading all the biographies about all of the, the team members you guys have. I thought that was just really fascinating to hear people's stories. Yeah, that's, everyone comes into it from their own path, but uh, I guess the 
there's a commonality there of why people want to hunt, at least in a particular approach, in a particular mindset. And I guess I'd say also that, uh, you know, this, like I said earlier, this is in part is to help give people a sense of what this is all about. It's kind of an exploratory uh, process uh, for people who are curious. So I would say don't feel, don't shy away from it if you feel like hunting is just for the, the serious backcountry folks that really know what they're doing. We're really trying to make this accessible to anyone and everyone. Um, even if it's not something you want to pursue hardcore in the long run, but want to get an understanding of what it's like to go through the process and, and gut and butcher an animal and eat it and, and what it's like to be out there stalking and tracking and shooting and, and putting these pieces together and then sitting around the campfire and, and telling the stories and eating the meat that you just worked on. And, and we've had couples come out, you know, where the, either the wife or the husband really wanted to do it. And the other one is just kind of there to support them. But it's always fun to see the folks that are there just because they were talked into it really come alive because they had no idea what they were getting into and how fascinating it is and how curious they become. And we've had some people like that that had no intention of being hunters that turned out to be some of the best hunters know that have pursued this so yeah it's you know, we're trying to make it accessible to, to everyone and it it certainly is you know there's a lot of opportunity out there and a lot of resources still and and i think it's important that we continue to make it accessible to folks and try to get people involved because the future of our wildlife and wild habitat somewhat depends on it I feel. Yeah, yeah, you've definitely made a handful of points about that throughout our conversation. It's definitely like like you said I love that you guys are making it so accessible to to anyone just to give it a try. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um we've talked about so much today. Uh thank you for coming on. This has been really really informative and inspiring and it, it makes me a lot more curious about getting out there and trying and learning about hunting more yeah you should give it a try yeah it's definitely something my husband wants to wants to try he never has he likes fishing but hunting he just hasn't tried i will add to the, what i said earlier about couples coming out is that uh, they've also it's been a common theme that they say how glad they were that they were both there to experience this stuff because they said it would have been really challenging had one of them experienced it and gone back and they'd try to explain it to the other one but they it would be hard to fully explain what they were experiencing so having experienced it together um, seems like it's been a really good thing for for couples to do as well now we need we just need to build up our infant program where you can bring your your newborn out right and, uh... right bring the newborn out for a hunt <laughs> i don't know there'd be lots of safety regulations with that <laughs> yeah you have to put him in a backpack yeah yeah which which i'm already doing with him so 
<laughs> we got the backpack part down. <laughs> so you mentioned that you like went out on some of your first hunts when you were three years old. As a three-year-old, was that scary to see an animal dying or since you didn't know any better was that just kind of the normal for you i think more the latter and it was you know it was a fascination we grew up fishing too and i was recalling the other day that when i was a youngster i used to keep a uh, tin can with fish eyeballs in it for some reason unknown to me now but it was just you know fascinating biology and uh we've have we have had some kids as young as eight and nine come out to the courses with their folks and notice at first they're a little bit standoffish with when it comes to working on the animal but pretty soon they're out there kind of looking and getting closer and they want to put their hand on it and touch it and then the next thing you know they've got a knife in their hand they want to work on cutting it and skinning it and they get right into it i mean it, it's it's just life you know it's it's how this world is, how it operates. And uh, the fact that we've been disconnected from that is fairly recent in recent times is new. And I, I don't think it's that hard to come back to it when presented in the right light and the right setting. I think it's a very natural progression to um, understanding who we are and how we're part of all this natural world yeah and like like you said it's getting back to who humans are and like I was just so curious about that as it from the perspective of a child because I mean as adults you put ideas into children's heads to make them think that way so often adults are doing that to kids but if a kid doesn't know any better I mean yeah it's it's just life so yeah I mean, we do tend to perpetuate things if we're if we don't try to change course and that that's i guess part of the uphill battle is just all the momentum that we've had lately uh, away from nature but i don't think it takes much to to shift that you know just a few things here and there an experience like this and all of a sudden it opens up a whole new realm of life an opportunity to explore um, and, a, and a whole new human experience to engage in so it's definitely a generational thing and a lot of folks learn from their parents and i hope that you know and i'm seeing that that's starting to happen now even with our courses is that people are coming to the courses and and maybe doing some hunting and then they're able to teach some of that, pass some of that on to their kids and their families and get their kids out. And so it's hopefully a, a snowballing effect where we get more and more folks out and engaged in uh, the natural processes so that we, we, are, we have that awareness to make good decisions down the road when it comes to how we're gonna treat the planet. Right, right, exactly. That's really cool to hear that people are coming to the course and then bringing it back to their families. Awesome. Well, we've talked about a ton. Thank you for sharing so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, thanks for your curiosity and and uh, opening your mind a little bit on this topic. And 
don't hesitate to be in touch if I can answer any more questions. Yeah, definitely. We'll be in touch. Yeah. Like I said, it's just, just talking to more people and getting those conversations going can really help open our minds about a world we don't know a whole lot about. Exactly. We've loved doing this podcasting journey. We love bringing awesome guests on. We love seeing that people are listening. And we're really, really grateful that this is hopefully inspiring other people to get outdoors. Yeah, and as part of our mission at Hiking Through Life, we really want to help support others in continuing their journey or starting their journey into the outdoors. So as part of that, we have plans for future episodes to address some listener feedback. So if you have questions about backpacking, hiking, adventuring outdoors, let us know. Email hikingthroughlife at gmail.com and submit us your question or topic and we'll possibly address it in a future episode. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.